The scripture reading today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. On the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and so trust you ever after. When Moses had told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, be careful not to go up to the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Any who touch the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch them, but they shall be stoned or shot with arrows. Whether animal or human being, they shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they may go up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to, let to, to the people. He consecrated the people, and they washed their clothes, and he said to the people, Prepare for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, 
Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we are here together because you have called us to be here in Jesus. And we pray now that as we sit with your scriptures that you would grab our attention. Help us to be present to you as you are present to us. We invite your spirit here to do your work of illumining our minds and inflaming our hearts to love you and to love our neighbor more. And we ask that you would do your great transforming work among us, remaking us by your grace more and more into the likeness of your Son, in whom we pray. Amen. So think of a time in your life, maybe in the distant past, maybe in the recent past, when God got your attention in such a way that you realized that you needed to rethink things or perhaps even make some different kinds of choices, make a commitment that you had been unwilling to make until that point. Just take a second. And it's okay if you don't have one of those. Many of us do, probably some of us don't. And no matter who you are this morning, no matter what your story is, where you're coming from, what you're carrying today, as you come into this space, you are welcome here. God's word and God's love are for you today. And maybe, just maybe, for each and every one of us today would be another time where God would grab our attention and call us to a place of seeing things afresh, seeing God afresh, seeing ourselves through a new light, beginning to make some new choices, some new commitments, recognizing maybe in a way that we haven't before, just how deeply we are known and loved by God. You are known and loved by God. We've come to this place in the story of Exodus, which we've been working our way through this fall in this sermon series. It's a series that we've titled, you know, Living the Exodus Story of rescue and recreation. 
And we've reflected on how this story of the Exodus for God's people was their main event kind of story, of their, the most important story in their collective memory of how God had shown up for them, acted on their behalf in a mighty way, brought them out of enslavement in Egypt, brought them through the sea and into a, new into a new land, into a new life, and had given them an identity and a vocation as God's people. And we've also reflected on the fact that when Jesus steps on the scene, especially as you read about the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus actually living out in his own life the script of the Exodus story as God in person in our world. He goes through the same kinds of motions and movements that we see the people of Israel go through in the Exodus story. And what we see in Jesus is that God is doing a new thing and there will be a new climactic event, a new foundational moment where God will show up and do something amazing on behalf of his people. Where Jesus, God in person in our world, will die, will rise again, and will lead a new and greater exodus out of sin and death and into a land of life forever with God. This God who's on a mission of making all things new, a God who's been up to that from the very beginning, who has shown himself most clearly in the person of Jesus. And so we're reading this exodus story through the lens of Jesus so that we can understand it to be something as a script for ourselves of how do we live our own lives? Jesus did it against the backdrop of the Exodus story. And in Jesus, we do it as well against the backdrop of the Exodus story. As a people who've been called out of Egypt because God loves us as his own child. As a people who've been brought through the waters, so to speak, into a new kind of relationship with God, into a new kind of wilderness where we live in a world that isn't what it ought to be. We live in a world that is weeping because things are not okay. We live with our own limitations, our own confusion, our own wickedness even, as we look inside of ourselves and realize I'm not what I ought to be. I am absolutely not my best self. I have so much room to grow. There's so much about me and the choices I make or the words I say or the things I think or the preferences that I lean into or the ways that I'm willing to sacrifice you for my own comfort. And you're the same way. And we can recognize that the problem isn't just out there, but the problem is in here. It's both. The problems are personal and they're systemic. The problems are global and they're local. The problems are collective and they are individual. And into that world, God has come in Jesus to call us out of that Egypt, the Egypt within and the Egypt without to embark with him on this new journey of transformation, to be renewed, to be rescued, even remade in the likeness of Jesus so that we might live freely as God's beloved. We come to this point in the story that's a pivotal one. It's about halfway through the book, almost exactly halfway through the book. And the story that we've read so far is one where we've seen God show up in these crazy ways, right? He showed up for Moses at this burning bush at Sinai and gave him a job to do. And Moses protested as hard as he possibly could, but then he went and he went to Pharaoh just as God had instructed him. And he said, you know, God, God, has, God has sent me so that he would set my people free. 
And God, just as he had said he would, the Lord, he does these plagues that are just crazy, right? And we've, we've seen already that's sort of like this undoing of creation. All chaos breaks loose. Pharaoh lets the people go. They go, they pass through the sea because the Lord delivers them. Pharaoh chases after them. The armies drowned. Then they get to the other side and there's all this miracle provision where God provides water and then food and then water and then protection as this little skirmish with the Amalekites, this little minor war breaks out and the Lord protects his people. And then they arrive again at Sinai. And that's where we pick up the story. This is actually the initial destination of the Exodus. The story began at the bush with Moses and we're back. After all of that, the people are now all together at the same place where God met Moses and began this whole crazy scene. And now we're here and what we find is this episode where the people of Israel are going to meet God in a holy place at an appointed time and it will be transformative for their life together. Because the second half of the book, which we'll read parts of in the coming weeks, begins to unpack the law, right? The book of the covenant that God will give to his people. The second half of the book has lots of instructions and descriptions of the character of God and the way that God's people are to now order their lives in light of God's character. But first, before we get to that, we come to an encounter. They encounter the Lord at Sinai right here. And this is where we find that the Lord declares that he has redeemed his people for a purpose. He says, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. This is the purpose for which God has redeemed his people and brought them out of enslavement and Egypt to be his treasured possession, his delight, and to be his priestly kingdom, a holy nation. In other words, to join with God on God's great mission of what it is that he's doing in the world. And their involvement with God in that mission is going to involve their attention and their intention, preparation. And he tells them how to prepare for this encounter. And there's all this stuff about what you can't touch, right? What you can't do. And then there's this part about don't go near a woman, which is not to say that there's anything wrong with women. There's nothing problematic or unclean about women. This is a euphemism in this language for sexual relations. Nobody in that time for those three days was to be doing that as a way to prepare for this encounter with God. It's not an anti-woman kind of statement. It's just old school language. So there they are at Sinai and we see this encounter with God. And what we find is that God shows up as this kind of amazingly powerful, holy, dramatic, loud, kind of thunderous presence, right? And he shows up in such a way that, in, that there's almost no denying that this one who is meeting us in this place 
is worthy of our attention and loyalty. But I wonder, as you thought about your own encounters with God, your own meeting with God, how many of you have stories that involve like thunder and smoke? Probably not many. I don't. And so it's a little weird as we think about, well, what does it look like to take this story to our own lives as a script if the way that the people of Israel met God in those days is, the, is portrayed in this way that just feels like a sci-fi movie where what, what happens in my real life doesn't feel like a sci-fi movie. In fact, sometimes it feels like a profoundly disappointing version of a story like this. It's okay if you don't have stories of wild and crazy encounters with God. It's also okay if you do. I actually do. And I'm going to tell you one before we're done today. But that's not to say that that's something that you have to have. But what we are supposed to see here, I believe, in this story is that the living God who is Yahweh the Lord, who's revealed himself to the people of Israel as this personal deity for them, as well as the creator God of all things, right? The supreme holy one. This God has called them to a particular place at a particular time on the third new moon. And here they are at the meeting place God has set up at the mountain of Sinai, this holy space where God meets with his people. Chuck DeGroat, who has this book, Leaving Egypt, that we've quoted a few times, he offers some beautiful words of wisdom about how a story like this might lead us and be a sort of script for us in our own pursuit of life with God. He writes this. At Sinai, God sings the lullaby that echoes the original true story. He whispers to his little children, you are my treasured possession. He speaks word of dignity and glory that an enslaved people long to hear. Sinai represents that moment in each of our lives when it begins to dawn on us that we are more than we seem to be, more than merely ordinary. As we leave our many Egypts through the course of our lives, we continually find ourselves at Sinai, the identity checkpoint where we are retold the true story about ourselves. I love that passage. I love that quote because he keys in on these words of dignity and glory that you and I desperately need to hear. Why? Because you and I have lived enslaved in the Egypts of our lives, right? You and I know what it's like to be stuck. We know what it's like to live under some sort of foreign power that rules, whether it's a personal kind of thing, maybe you have struggled with an addiction. Maybe you've been trapped in a relationship or a vocational space, a job situation that has felt trapping to you. Maybe you've lived in a, an extended family situation where you've endured abuse or abandonment or a particularly strained relationship where you've just not known what to do. Or in your friendships, you've experienced the kind of disappointment and hurt that leaves you feeling some sort of loss or shame, like you're just not going to be the same anymore. 
You felt the frustration of wanting to bang your head against the wall because of just the way life is and feeling your own lack of power to change it. Every single one of us, if we're honest and willing to take the long look, we know these experiences. We know these experiences. We know Egypt. Yet, our God who meets us in Egypt, our God who's willing to flex against Pharaoh, the bully that ensnares us and oppresses us, that God says, I love you. I've called you out. I've done the work to deliver you. And I delight in you. You are my treasured possession. You are mine. A pastor friend of mine, used to be my pastor years ago, used to say, you'll never really know who you are until you know whose you are. And in this story of the Exodus, we find a people discovering that they belong to the Lord. They belong to the God who's willing to take on all of evil and take the full brunt of the powers of hell to say, you are mine. You are my treasured possession. You belong to me. I belong to you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I delight in you. That is a message every single one of us needs to hear today. And as we begin to read this story toward Jesus and we recognize that Jesus, he's the one who leads the exodus that we're involved in, right? We've not actually been enslaved in literal Egypt. We've been enslaved in figurative Egypts and Jesus leads us out of those through his great new exodus, right? But Jesus had this moment where he heard the voice of the father from heaven spoken over him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit descended on him as he went into the waters. And we see that word proclaimed over Jesus. And that is the same word that's proclaimed over you and over me at our baptism and every day. You are my beloved, treasured possession, child. That's who you are. That is your identity in Christ. But it's not for nothing. Your identity in Christ as God's treasured possession and beloved child is not just so that you get that benefit. You do get that benefit, but that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. You see, where, where we go from here is the beloved child, the treasured possession, now gets enlisted with God in what God is up to in the world. And in the story of Israel, what that's going to mean is that this people, of, this people of Israel, they are to be what's called here a priestly kingdom and holy nation, meaning their life is to be ordered in such a way around God's words, God's law, God's instruction, so that their life together reflects to the world the very character of God, that they as a community begin to experience the goodness of life ordered not according to simply their own wisdom or some sense of a social contract, but rather that their life is ordered together around a vision of justice and wholeness and flourishing that comes from the very imagination of God himself who has made the world to thrive. And so he'll, he'll paint for them a picture of their life together and we'll explore it in weeks to come. But what Jesus is up to is the very same mission taken forward into the story where when Jesus arrives on the scene and leads us out of the Exodus 
from our Egypt into a life of joining with him in mission is we get to get involved with him in God's great work of making all things new. That Israel's calling to be God's instrument of blessing to the nations now in Jesus gets to include people from all of the nations to be one family so that we together would order our life together in a way that testifies to the beauty of God's creative design and imagination and love so that we wouldn't live toward one another as competitors, that we wouldn't live toward one another in comparison, but that we would live toward one another in love and mutuality so that our common life together would tell a story to us and to the world about the reality of who God is and who we are as God's treasured possession. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, has a beautiful book called Where God Happens. And he describes the life of the church as one where when we begin to do this kind of life together, we become a place where God happens for others. We become a place where God happens for others. You see, Sinai in this story is a holy place. It's a special place. It's a set-apart kind of place. And you and I and us, we, the church, the community of God's people organized around Jesus, one, of, one aspect of our calling in our life together is actually to embody together this kind of spirit life and extend to our neighbors the welcome of Jesus so that if you find yourself among us, you will find yourself in the presence of God. And that as we participate with one another in life, as we bear the image of God to one another and actually live toward one another in love in Jesus, we become for one another a place where God happens. Because what we need most fundamentally, you and I each, and what our neighbors need most fundamentally is not an explanation of what Jesus is all about. It's an encounter with God. John Seale wrote a book called The New Copernican, sort of studying shifts in the faith and specifically um, interviewing millennials about their own life of faith and, and talking with a lot of folks who identify as spiritual but not religious and trying to talk through like what's happened in the church and why is it that the church is declining so rapidly? And one of the conclusions that he came to is that the church has become, so to speak, a cul-de-sac on the spiritual journey of so many young people because we've leaned into explanation over embodiment and encounter. That we try to explain to the head why this matters rather than living together in such a way where it's obvious. Christine Pohl says that the best sermon we'll ever get to preach, right, is our life together. I'm paraphrasing because I didn't write that down. Shooting from the hip there. But Jesus tied his reputation to the quality of our life together, right? And the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach is the life that we live in community. We get to become a place where God happens. You see, in Jesus, the whole notion of what it looks like to live a holy life is transformed in him. And all this stuff we see at Sinai about don't touch this, don't touch that, don't defile yourself by this, don't defile yourself by that. Jesus said, look, it's not what goes into you that defiles you now. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. 
You don't have to worry about your neighbor making you unclean because Jesus takes care of the cleaning part. What we get to do is extend the embrace of Jesus to our neighbor and what comes out of us, if it's love, is what sanctifies us all as God does a thing among us. What does it look like for us to meet God in holy time and space? How do we take up the script of Israel here in this Exodus story who journeyed together and at an appointed time and place met with God and had an encounter that changed everything? Well, collectively, I think it looks like leaning into this right here, our gathered worship. This is an appointed time and place that becomes the center of our life together, a weekly rhythm that we lean into not just because we wanna attend church or because like religion is important or something like that, but recognizing that if we are to be the kind of people that will be a place where God happens, that's only going to happen as we lean into the reality of life together. As we actually take Jesus up on his invitation to meet him in the company of his people, we gather to his table together. But I also think there are personal kinds of holy time and place that we can embrace in our own personal lives. And I, I told you I'd tell you a story, um, so I will. I've had two, I've had many actually, but, I've, but there are two vivid encounters that I've had with God that have been really, really important in my own life with God to help sustain me in my own life of faith. I was only gonna tell you one of them, but then we sang Be Thou My Vision as our opening song. And I was reminded of one that I had over 20 years ago while singing that song that really did change the trajectory of my life. So I was involved in a campus ministry though I didn't grow up in the church. I encountered God first in the company of people who loved one another genuinely in a way I had not seen before. A group of college students at the University of Georgia in the early 2000s. And I found myself able to belong before I believed I found myself a beneficiary of their welcome and their patience and their love. They made space for me to be me. And as they made space for me to be me, I found myself wanting to move closer and closer to the center of that community and not just be a fringy person at the edge. Now I wasn't bold enough to make that decision myself, but I was invited into that by someone who was leading the music, but was graduating. And he said to me, Chris, would you be willing to, to lead the music uh, next year? Because we don't have anyone else who can do that. And I said, nah, I don't wanna make that kind of commitment. You know, he said, but if you don't, we're not gonna have anybody that's gonna be able to do that, which no guilt, but just know what you're, just know, right? I'm like, oh man, they actually need something that I can provide. There's actually something I can do that's actually really meaningful here. And so I started leading the music. Problem was I was the only one who didn't know the songs because I was the only non-church kid in this whole group of students, right? So like everybody else grew up singing this stuff and I'm, the, I'm like the only one who heard this stuff for the first time yesterday. So I spent a lot of time at my home playing these hymns and songs, practicing just so that I would be a sort of base level competent music leader in this community. And so I was playing this song, Be Thou My Vision at home, because that was one of the ones we sang. And I got to this verse that maybe the third or fourth verse, depending on which version or how many verses there are printed in your version. Uh, I think it was verse three in our bulletin today, but it's riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always, you know, that verse. I was in my third year of college and I realized every decision I had made about the course of my life was based on heeding riches. 
And I, I was singing this song. I'm like, I, how in the world do you sing this with integrity? And I realized, like, I've, I've never thought about it. But honestly, like, I was, that's just sort of how I was raised. That's how most of us were raised. If you're raised in America, you heed success and riches, status, comfort, whatever, right? We're a consumerist, individualist society. We're a capitalist society. This is how we're raised. Every decision I'd, been, I'd made was made in that way. But I found myself in an encounter with God calling me to something else. And I couldn't look away. I could not deny, it's like, it's like this sense overcame me that God was calling me to join him in something else, to heed something else, to follow in the way of Jesus, no matter what that cost. Now I cannot say that my life has been some sort of consistent, holy, whatever. Um, it's not like, no, I've been a totally flawed and consistent follower of Jesus from that moment and since and still, right? But. I cannot deny God met me in a moment and did something. And I really did change my major. Um, I couldn't not do that because of the way God met me in that moment. Fast forward to three years ago. I'll tell you about the second story. And I've shared this with smaller groups of you, but this is the first time I've ever shared this where it's like on the internet. Um, so I had the opportunity in 2020 to take a spiritual retreat for two weeks to Colorado. Did some counseling intensive stuff there, but also just had a lot of time to myself and did a bunch of like spiritual direction and, and was engaging in some contemplative type disciplines. And I had an encounter with the living God in a time of contemplative prayer that completely blew my mind and heart and soul and imagination away. And I, so essentially it was, I was doing a, a prayer called the welcoming prayer, which I've introduced at various times, but it's essentially a prayer where you spend a lot of time inviting God into your own experience and being in it with God. And there's no purpose in it other than to sort of invite God and experience God, be there. This is not something you can fabricate or whatever, but so I was in this space and all of a sudden, I started to have this like full body buzzing experience. Like every nerve in my body started glowing like a light bulb. Have you ever seen a light bulb that starts to glow right before it burns out? Uh, it's like a supernova. <laughs> um, I got this kind of bizarre sensation that I was glowing like a supernova and my world flooded with light and I simply knew this is Christ the morning star dawning. There was no instruction. There was now like, so now do this. There was no like, surprise, the Bible's wrong. This is who God is, go do this. And this wasn't like that. I'm not saying that like, this is not like my inner compass has taken over, follow me, let's go crazy. And what I'm saying is like the living God is real and I'm profoundly fortunate to have had a couple of times where I've had a direct encounter with the living God that's been a little bit more smoke and lightning than the average time. I will say this though, those have never happened without a lot of preparation 
focused attention, a whole lot of stripping away, and a whole lot of diving in. It's not like I was walking down the street one day and had the Apostle Paul's experience of lightning or whatever. Also, there have been many, many more times where I've done a lot of preparation, a lot of stripping away, and nothing like that has happened. You can't just make it happen. And there's nothing wrong with you if it doesn't. It's simply a gift of the living God. The point is this though, those experiences of encountering encountering God have fortified me against a whole lot of doubt, a a whole lot of church hurt, a whole lot of Christians being less than ideal in the public sphere, a whole lot of things that would have maybe been enough to drive me away have not been because I've seen God. And I'd love to tell you that that made me a super disciplined person and now I do this all the time. No, I'm a flaky, flimsy Christian just like you. But God isn't. And he meets us at holy time and holy space. And the invitation of Jesus who gathers us is to take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. The living God is ready and willing to meet you and to meet me every minute of every day, whether we're paying attention or not. And the invitation is to pay attention. So let's do that as a community. Let's do that as individuals. And let's see what God will do as we begin to recognize we're his treasured possession, enlisted with God to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your life and your power. We thank you that you're not afraid to surprise us and that you're not afraid to do a radical new thing with weak people. We need your spirit to remake us. We need Jesus to lead us. Give us the courage, we pray, to walk in your ways. Through Christ our Lord, amen.